we turn now to God's Word, uh, we are in John uh, chapter 15. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John this morning. We're looking at the first uh, 17 verses of John 15. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along right there in the bulletin. These are the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." This is uh, my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all uh, that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your, your word uh, so filled with uh, Words of, of love, of grace, of, of hope, of, of welcome, bidding us to, to come to you, bidding us to rest in, in Christ. And uh, Lord, uh, we long to hear your good news this morning. And so would you send your Holy Spirit here, be our teacher, apply these words to us, open our hearts to understand them, and, um, and that we might find great comfort, we might find great hope, we might find great joy in your truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this uh, section that we're studying in the Gospel of John is called the Upper Room Discourse, which is the uh, final sermon that Jesus gives to his disciples the night before his crucif crucifixion. And it, uh, it takes up chapters uh, John 14, 15, and 16. And so we are right in the heart, maybe the climactic, this could maybe be the climactic passage in that great sermon uh, that Jesus gave to his disciples. And I think these words are extremely 
relevant for us as God's people. I, I particularly, I think about verse 11, which says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Uh, this is a passage about how to have joy in your life. And uh, we've all been walking through a very difficult season where, you know, there's all kinds of statistics about mental health and, and um, psychological state of many people in the world and our society, uh, you know, walking through COVID and all the conflict of the election. And, uh, and so our joy is really being tried during this season. And so how do you have true joy in a world like this? Our Lord tells us in this passage how to have true joy. And usually we experience joy when we are with joyful people. Joy is infectious and, you know, joy rubs off on us. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus is the most joyful person who ever lived. Actually, Hebrews says that, that he was anointed with the, the oil of joy more than all of his brothers. He's the most joyful person who ever lived. And if you want joy then in your life, you must know him, live with him, walk with him, talk with him, listen to him, spend time with him. Joy is not a technique. Joy is a person. And that's how we experience joy. And, uh, and so, uh, or as this passage pu puts it, that we must abide in him. And that little phrase, abide in him, is maybe the greatest summary of what the Christian life is about. It's about abiding in Christ. And so today we are going to explore that little phrase, abide in him, by answering these, uh, these three questions from this passage. And this is what the three questions are. What does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean to not abide in Christ? And how can I know that I abide in Christ? What does it mean to abide in him? What does it mean to not abide in him? And how do I know that I abide in him? I think these are all three just basic fundamental questions about the Christian life and the life of joy that the Lord offers us in this passage. So three questions this morning. The first is this. What does it mean to abide in Christ? And uh, three answers I want to highlight from this passage. Okay, the first answer is to abide means to be connected to Jesus. To abide means to be connected to Jesus. And this passage gives one of the most brilliant illustrations about having a relationship with Jesus. You see it there in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And uh, what Jesus is saying that our lives, you know, that we're all like branches and we need to live our lives connected to him like a branch is connected to the, to the root or to the, to the vine. And, uh, you know, when a branch is cut off, it becomes dead on the ground and doesn't do anything. It doesn't grow. You know, all branches, they kind of look the same. They all look kind of bare. But when it, the branch is attached to the vine, there's this magic that happens in it, where it starts to grow these colorful, beautiful, refreshing, sweet foods that come out of it. It becomes like this magic stick when it's attached to, to, the, to the vine. And the Bible says that the way that we are connected to Jesus 
is by faith, is that when we believe in him, when we trust in him, then we are uh, attached to him, and then he begins to pour his life into us. And so you might say, well, how does Jesus pour his life into you? If you believe in him, how does, how does he pour his life into you? Well, this passage mentions three things that, that Christians historically have said are three means, ways that Jesus pours his life into you. The word, the sacraments, and prayer. You can see all three of those in this passage. Uh, first, the word and the sacraments there in verse 3. Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so Jesus mentions his word, which is the gospel. But then he says, you are clean, which you know, brings to mind the, the sacrament of baptism, that we're washed. Actually, that word clean is only used in one other place in the gospel of John. And it's when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet with water. It's kind of a, a representative of baptism and, and washing. And so first there's the word and the sacrament, but then you see prayer in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's the word again, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, this is first simple. It means that you believe in him, you trust in him, and you're connected to him. And then his life is poured into you through these means that he is appointed by, through his word, through the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper, and through praying. Um, and when you live like that, Jesus says a second thing happens, is that to abide means to bear fruit. To abide means, to abide in Jesus means to be, bear fruit. And you see that there, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And this is an incredible verse that says, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing of service to God. We have no strength. We have no wisdom within ourselves. It is, it is his life that might, must work through us. And now, I, I know that for some of you, when you hear that word about you must bear fruit in your life, the questions come to mind. It's like, wow, I got to do something. I got to bear some, I got to bear fruit for God. Have I bore enough fruit for him? Maybe I need to go bear some more fruit. And the thing that comes to mind when I think of that is, is that the human analogy to bearing fruit is, is a mother growing a child inside of her. And one of the things that's striking to me, I mean, it's one of the most incredible things a human could do, form another human being inside of you. And yet, um, the mother doesn't focus really hard on growing that baby. That baby just grows inside of her. You know, actually, often even against her will, you know, if she doesn't want a baby to be growing inside of her. And she doesn't have to be disciplined to have the baby grow inside of her. She doesn't have to have skill in making babies for the baby to grow inside of her. In fact, the Bible says that it is God who is knitting that child together in her womb. And yet, any mother will tell you that having a baby will take all of you it will uh, take energy, you know, you're going to have morning sickness, and then finally you're going to go through labor, even, e even though it doesn't take your discipline and skill. And I think that's similar to bearing fruit when we abide in Christ, that there is some aspect of a passive experience to it. Verse 4, again, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And what's amazing is that when you abide in Jesus, you not only have a life that serves God, that's kind of the uh, 
what bearing fruit means is life offered to God. But one of the fascinating things about branches is whenever a, a branch is grafted onto a tree, you know, let's say you take a, a, a plum branch, you graft it onto a peach tree. Do you know what kind of fruit you're going to get? You're going to get plums. You're going to get the flavor of fruit of the branch. And so that's a remarkable thing is that when we're engrafted into Christ, what kind of fruit is Nate going to produce when he's attached to Jesus? It's not just Jesus-flavored fruit. It's Nate-flavored fruit. And so it's not only that when we abide in Christ that we have a life of service to God, but we actually become ourselves. We become what we were made for and the kind of unique, special fruit that each of you, that's a different flavor of each of you, finally is produced. And Jesus doesn't produce, just produce himself in you. He produces you in you, what God originally intended you to be. And when your life is bearing the kind of fruit that you individually were intended by God to produce, you experience joy. It's a joy to produce the fruit that God meant to produce in you. And so what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, first it means to be connected to Jesus by faith. I believe and I trust in him. And then he pours his life into me through his means of grace, the, the word of God and, and through the sacraments and through prayer. And then um, my life begins to become fruitful. But there's one uh, more answer to that question about what do we mean by abiding in Christ is, and this is the third answer, is that to abide means to receive pruning. A fruitful tree, a fruitful vine is pruned. And notice what Jesus says here in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And I love what uh, Jesus says here. He says, you know, if, if, we're, if we're the branches and Jesus is the vine, the Father is the gardener. And he has these pruning shears that he attends to the plants because he wants them to become more fruitful. And the way you become more fruitful is he cuts into you with his pruning shears. That's an important piece of knowledge to have about when I abide in Christ, this is part of what I'm going to experience in my life, uh, and uh, is hardships that God uses to make me more fruitful. God the Father uses hardships in our lives to make us more fruitful. And what's fascinating to me is, you know, there's both a, a tree that's a branch that's being pruned and there's a branch that's being cut off and thrown into the fire. And the process of, of pruning a branch and cutting off a branch are really the same thing, right? It, you, you're just cutting the branch. It just depends on where you're cutting it on, on the branch. And it's often true that um, in, a in two people's lives, the experience of being cut both on the outside in life experiences looks the same and on the inside feels the same. But in one person, it's actually drives them away from the Lord, and in another person, it makes their life more fruitful. You know, maybe uh, some of you have known people that go through a hardship, and it embitters them towards God because they say, well, how could God ever do this in my life? How could he hurt me so badly? How could I ever worship? And, and I don't want him in my life, and, and their heart is hardened because of this hardship. And yet that same exact hardship in another person that humbles them, 
And it softens their hearts. And they say, wow, I, I realize how much I depend on myself and how little I depend on God and how much I need him. And I long for him even more because I go through this hardship. They become more compassionate because they've gone through that hardship. And I can only guess that some of you are in the middle of just such a hardship. So the question is, which is it going to be? Does it embitter you against God? Or does it show you even more that Jesus' words, apart from me, you can do nothing? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what I really want to emphasize in all three of these answers, being connected to Jesus, bearing fruit, and receiving pruning, are all passive experiences. They're all things that are done to, through, and, and in us. And uh, that's why Christians have said that abiding in Christ is fundamentally about resting in Christ. It's about receiving Christ. It's about being loved by him and trusting him. And for some of you, you know, the process of I want to find myself, I want to become myself, has been maybe a years-long process of striving and striving and working to finally be myself. And, uh, and I invite you today to stop the striving. I invite you to abide in the grace and love of Jesus and as you begin to rest in him, a magical thing will start happening. Sweet, beautiful fruit will begin to grow in your life. That's the invitation of this passage. It's the invitation of joy. Now, I should tell you that as loving and welcoming as that message is, Jesus says, come and rest in him, this passage also has an honest warning and it's not so simple as, you know, if you get a little, dabble in Jesus a little bit, you, you'll learn to become yourself more. It's not, it's not quite that simple. And, and that, that is the second question that Jesus answers in this passage is that, is what does it mean to not abide in Christ? Two sober warnings from this passage. Okay, the first warning Jesus gives is that not abiding in Christ is a wasted life. Not abiding in Christ is a wasted life. And you see that there in verse 2, that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And uh, the image of the vine and the branch is one that Jesus borrows from the Old Testament. It's used throughout the Old Testament to talk about Israel. Israel was, was God's vine that he had planted, and he wanted to receive fruit from, from Israel. And in particular, in, in Ezekiel 15, it, when... Uh, uh, Israel had abandoned the Lord and they were worshiping all kinds of idols and they were falling into all kinds of sin and not following the Lord. They'd forgotten the Lord. Uh, uh, Ezekiel 15 talks about uh, the Lord cutting down the vine and using it for fuel, for fire. And why does the Lord do that? Well, Ezekiel says, behold, this is about the vine, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. The, the, the Israel, the vineyard, was used for nothing. And what this tells us is God made us with a purpose for us to bear fruit to him. And a life that doesn't fulfill this purpose is a wasted life. We are meant to be useful to God. And I think this is an immensely important point in a place like uh, Bellingham. You know, I, I think of in Bellingham, and this may not be true for all of you, but this would be an example. In a place like Bellingham, many people think of a full and, you know, a life that wasn't wasted is a life that's filled with recreation. 
and being in the outdoors. And I'll tell you, I'm a person, I love the outdoors. I love hiking and backpacking, and, and I love the mountains and the beauty of it. And, uh, but Bellingham culture goes a step further to say that being healthy and doing lots of recreation is almost virtuous. You know, we talk about that way. Someone's, yeah, oh, you're, you're getting out and you're getting on a lot of hikes. Wow, that's great. Good for you. And, and it's uh, that, like, wow, you're really doing something meaningful. Um, and I, as much as I love those things, well, I stand before God and he evalu- when I stand before God and he evaluates my life and says, did you fulfill your purpose? He's not going to say, way to go, Nate. You, you went on a lot of hikes. <laughs> It's not going to be, hikes are a gift from God. You might say, well, why are you dissing on hiking? Why are you dissing on the outside? I'm not dissing on it. They're gifts from God. But they're supposed to be received so that we can then offer our life back to him and not just take all his gifts for ourselves. And if you do not abide in Christ, you will fill your life with tons of things that are not the real purpose that God made you for. Now, of course, if you're in the outdoors and you, you go mountain biking and you bring a friend who doesn't have friends and doesn't have people in their life and say, hey, come mountain biking with me. Well, now all of a sudden you're producing fruit. Or you bring someone on a hike with you and love for neighbor becomes a part of your recreation. Well, now you're bearing fruit. That is the fruit that the Lord is looking for, that we would become like him. And if you say, you know, I see that my life is filled with tons of things that I think are really important, but they're not the fruit that God has made me for, what should I do? Well, I invite you to repent. Turn from that and say, Lord, I put too much importance on this, and I need to put importance on you. Love for God and love for my neighbor. And he'll forgive you, and he'll receive you, and you rest in Christ, and he'll bear fruit through you. But the beginning is repentance. So first, not abiding in Christ is a wasted life. It's a, it's a sober warning from Jesus. But the next warning is maybe even more sobering, is that not abiding in Christ is hell. And if you think, oh, who could ever believe in a doctrine like hell? You should know that basically everything we know about hell in the Bible came from Jesus' own mouth. And he is the teacher of hell. And the subject actually comes up frequently from him. And it comes up in this passage. You see that there in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And the images of gathering the branches and the fire, they all point to the, the final judgment, meaning that there's coming a day when each of us will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. And in our culture, you know, we love to think about the spiritual life in very vague terms that, uh, you know, we're all on a spiritual journey and we don't really know where this journey began. We're not really sure where the journey is going. Does it have a destination? Do we have a goal for it? It's just a kind of wandering, meandering uh, spiritual feelings about things. But the Bible is, is not vague. It's constantly putting before us a moment of decision. It puts before us a crossroads. And the moment of decision is both for all of us as individually. Will we follow Christ? Will we trust in him? Will we believe in him? Will we worship him? Will we obey him? But the crossroads is the point of decision is also before God himself. There's coming a moment when God's decision will be made about each of us. That decision will determine our eternal destinies. Hell is real. A, lost, a soul can be lost forever. 
And actually, I have a close friend who uh, had wandered from the Lord for many years, and he had came back to the Lord, and, and he said, you know, I felt like I woke up from a nightmare, and I felt like for years I had been in hell. And we get glimpses in this life of, of what our eternal situation can be. And you say, how can a soul go on lost forever? Well, we see people in this life who will spend decades of their life isolated, alone, embittered, hard-hearted, miserable, and they'll go on and on like that and refuse to humble themselves and to receive God's grace and transformation in their life. And if you can do that for decades in this life, it's possible that you could want that for eternity. And that, that's possible. Um, and so these are warnings to us. And to ignore Jesus' words here could be utterly disastrous. And that warning, I think, leads us to a final question that I want to talk about in this passage. So, uh, so far what we've said is, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it just means that by faith we're connected to him and we receive his grace through these means and that will bear fruit in us. And, and he prunes us and it's this passive relationship to him where he works through us by his power. And what does it mean to not abide in Christ? Well, not abiding is a wasted life that ultimately sets a person on a path towards hell. So our final question then is this, how can I know that then I abide in Christ? Maybe that's a question for you. How, how do I know that I'm, I'm in Christ? And, you know, I want to be clear about the difference between abiding in Christ and knowing that you abide in Christ. Because there is a difference. A, a person can be saved, can be forgiven, can have eternal life and not experience assurance so, you know, some uh, um, assurance is a part of spiritual maturity. And some of you are in Christ, but you might worry about it all the time. I don't know if I'm in Christ. I don't know if I've done enough. I don't know that God really loves me. I don't know. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're not in Christ because you have those feelings. Um, assurance is something that we grow into. And so how can we have that assurance? How can we know that we are abiding in Christ? Well, let me highlight a few things from this passage. So first, um, the first answer is through prayer. Jesus says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. One of the benefits of having a life where every anxious thing that you experience in life you bring in prayer to God is you will find how many times he answers you. It's over and over and over again. And, and every time he answers you, guess what God, message God is sending to you? You're my beloved child. I listen to you. I love you. You are in me. You are a part of my family. And so prayer is how God teaches us that we're his. A second way, how can we know uh, that we abide in Christ, is, is through loving people in ways that we never have before. And you see this in verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Our fruit proves who we really are. And in verse 17, he says, These things I command to you so that you will love one another. And so how do you know that you're really a Christian, one of Jesus' people? Well, one way I like to think of it is that you have been loved by Jesus and that love has caused you to love people that you never would have loved before. You've been loved by Jesus, and that's caused you to love people that you never would have loved before. And it doesn't mean that you love people perfectly. It's that you're growing in love. And you say, you know, I don't even care about people. I don't even serve people. I serve myself. But now, because of Jesus, I want to serve other people. 
And of course, I'm, I, we all have to grow in love. It's not that we're perfectly loved, but we're loving in ways that we never did before. And so, so how, do, how do we learn this? It's through prayer. We learn that we're really God's children. Through loving other people, we realize that Jesus' love is in us and we're, we're attached to him. The third thing is, is through being called Jesus' friend. And you see these great words from our Lord in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Jesus says, you are my friends. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And you know, that's how it is with friends. You know, your family, you didn't get to choose your family. You're just born into your family. Some of you thought, wow, I wouldn't have chosen this family if I was born into that family. And, but your friends, you choose. And, uh, but the difference is, you know, when you're, you know, a young person in high school, maybe it's an adult life too, and, and you're in high school and you think, oh, wow, there's that group of friends, and I wish they would choose me to, to be their friend. And maybe you get invited to hang out with them, and you say, don't say anything stupid. You know, be funny, be cool, so that they will like me in the group. And you're constantly having to do all this work to get their friendship. But Jesus chose us as friends when there was nothing in us that won his friendship. The reason he chose us is not because of what's good in us, but because of his love and goodness. And so our friendship is stable. It is secure. We're embraced. And when we hear him call us his friends, we rest in him and we become assured that our life is in him. And so when we come back to the, the question at the beginning of the sermon, how do I have joy? This is the Bible's answer. True, deep, lasting, eternal joy is found only by abiding in Jesus, by trusting in him, resting in him, receiving his life through, through his word and the sacraments and prayer, bearing fruit, and, and even receiving the pruning, the hardship by which he changes us. And to be warned that by not abiding him is a waste of our lives and just sets our path on, on a eternal destruction. So how can you know, be assured that you abide in him? Experience him answering your prayers. Experience him loving people through you in new ways that you never have before. And experience him choosing you as his friend. Jesus is the most joyful person who ever lived. And he, your friend, wants to share that joy with you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that uh, your word gives us such a promise of joy. And uh, Lord, many of us have deeply struggled to find joy in this last year. Draw us close to the joyful Lord who did not fear and who rested in his Father's love, that he might share that love with us. Lord, may your joy live in us, and um, may we abide in him, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.